podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Yeah, better than Mexico. Not quite so bad. Not quite so good as France. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm about the same. About the same. I'm kind of chilling with Australia right now. Um, we've had yet another interesting day in the 2022 World Cup. A day that began with Tunisia nil, Australia won. Mitchell Duke with the only goal of the game after 23 minutes. Australia a little bit lucky to get out of there with three points, Carl? Yeah, probably so. But I think that that's part of what they came to achieve and part of what they knew that they would need in most of these group games, to be fair. Uh, I, I like the way that they took on uh, on board exactly what the manager was talking about pre-game and took to the game in that exact manner in that they went hard very, very quickly out the traps start as, as quickly and as positively as they can do, very, very aggressive, knowing that they're not going to be able to sustain that all the way through and hopefully get themselves ahead. Obviously, they managed to do so against France. Uh, it was never likely that they were going to see out that game, obviously, but against Tunisia, they did so. I thought they were pretty well organised, rode the luck at times a little bit, as you would expect a team made up of championship and lower level players for the most mm. part. But overall, I think pretty good. They were good in the areas that they can be going forward. I think that they didn't just sit back even in the second half when Tunisia did start to dominate. They were still trying to counterattack, still had their own moments, could have gone two up at different times. So I think it was as good as a performance from Australia as we could have hoped to see at this World Cup. Yeah, and look, they, they didn't come fancy to do much of anything and they have won a game at the World Cup. And that is a big deal when you are from one of the footballing nations who aren't among the elite kind of eight or ten countries. I think any win at the World Cup is something to cherish. I know if Ireland qualified for World Cup and won even one game, I would be thrilled, even if they got pumped in the other two games. Uh, The Aussies, of course, will take on Denmark in their last game. Denmark lost 2-1 today to France. Uh, Kylian Mbappe put France one up on 61 minutes after good interplay with Theo Hernandez. Andreas Christensen equalised after a bit of a lapse in the French defence on a corner. But Mbappe on 86 minutes, getting on the end of a cross from Kingsley Coleman ahead of some lacklustre defending by the Danes to knock it home from about a yard out. That is seven goals in the World Cup for Kylian Mbappe. Now, four last time out, three this time already. This guy is going to write records at the World Cup, Carl. At at his age, having already won one with France, potentially one of the winners this year, and looking at their squad and the talent that's not even in their squad, it's not outside the realms of possibility that he could go on and even match Pelé's record of winning three of these things. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, he could could certainly take another big step towards that this time around. Uh, I think, you know, considering that not just the age that he is, but the players he has around him is obviously a massive thing as well. We've spoken at length that the depth, the strength in uh, the second line that France have as well. I think that it's pretty obvious that if everybody is available, France are the best team here at the World Cup. Um, they certainly have the best depth out of everybody. It doesn't always translate to them winning, like we saw in the Euros, for example. They they can have an off day. Teams can get at them in certain ways. But if we're talking about over the longer term, over, you would expect probably he's going to play in five World Cups if injury doesn't get in the way. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it's fairly routine that he's going to get let's say three on a on an average tournament, and if he can have a good tournament every single time he turns up, he's going to be miles beyond everybody else. 23 years old, he's already got 31 goals for France. It's outrageous. Yeah, he is a truly, truly special player. And this French squad, when you consider no Kimbembe, who would likely be a starter, Lucas Hernandez out now, who was a starter, the midfield two, Pogba and Kante, both missing the World Cup, both would be starters. Christopher Nkunku, who would be an important squad player in the attack, is out. And Karim Benzema, who's arguably the best number nine in the world right now, also out. No other country, Carl, could overcome that level of injury crisis and still look this strong. I, I would imagine that if France had a, a second eleven here playing, which was made up of those players unavailable to them, they'd probably be the second best team at this finals behind the France, which is actually going on at the moment. Mm. Uh, I don't see anybody else who has the consistency and cohesion that they do. Um, Brazil are the only ones who have a similar level of uh, overall knowledge throughout the squad of how they play, a very, very consistent way of playing every single time. But on a technical level, they're still below France. Um, it's going to be quite close, actually, I think, between probably about three, you would say, on the early evidence. There's lots and lots that can happen between now and the final, obviously. But if teams play around the levels that they have done so far, I think if you add in Spain and assume that they don't have too many games where they completely fail to score any goals at all, those are probably the three sides we're looking at now. I, I don't know about you, and we'll get to them in a minute, I suppose, but Argentina so far, I would discount now as one of the, the candidates. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to find an exceptionally better level of performance in the space of four games, you know, which is all they really have left if they're going to go to the final. Um, so I, I, at the moment, don't really think that they are in the running. France, though, I mean, they weren't electric today, except for Mbappe, who I thought was outstanding all the way through. Uh, the amount of times that he got past uh, both wing back and right side and centre back, even though I didn't think that too many of the Denmark defenders actually had a terrible game. I thought Christensen did all right in a lot of duels against him. It's just yeah. that there were loads and loads of them. So even if he won half a dozen of them, it was still another three or four times that Mbappe was able to get past him. Once he's passed, you're not catching him up is the issue. That's the thing. If you're looking at the number on his shirt, you are already in trouble. Um, I, I like that. I thought the Danish defence was quite good today. You know, you're going up against Giroud, who they kept very quiet. That's a guy with an incredible record at international level. Antoine Griezmann, who I thought had a decent game today, not as good as he was against the Australians, but, you know, lively and bright. I thought Usman Dembele had a very good first half. And then faded out of it. But, you know, you've got him and Mbappe in the wide areas. And if you can keep them to two goals, both of which had a little bit of fortune about them, you've done pretty well. I do like that five-man Danish defence. I like the two they had in midfield in Heusberg 
and Ericsson. I like the two they had playing off the striker. The issue for them is they don't have a number nine and their goalkeeper is a little bit past his best. But the Danes are still in a decent enough position. They will fancy themselves to beat Australia. And if they do that, they will go through in second place. So as it stands, France through, not guaranteed top spot yet, but fairly close to it. Australia second, Denmark third and Tunisia fourth. In Group C, we also had action today. We had Poland against Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia coming off that incredible win over Argentina. Poland win this game 2-0. Zielinski and Lewandowski with the goals. Lewandowski's first World Cup goal, I believe. Big win for Poland. They had to ride their luck as well at times, though. I think this was more than riding their luck. I thought they were second best throughout everything other than in the penalty box, to be honest. Uh, Saudi Arabia really adventurous and aggressive again. Uh, Very happy to play the same way as they did against Argentina and be on the front foot and trying to get plenty of runners from the second line. Um, Really, really good build-up play down the channels as well. And they were always, always happy to get like the extra runner from all the way from central midfield into the penalty box. Uh, Almagli was essentially the the holding midfielder for them and Cano, who was another, a bit more box-to-box, but still a central player for them. Both of those were beyond uh, the forwards with regularity big problem they had was an utter inability to finish, uh, including obviously missing a penalty, Al Dasari, who I don't believe was actually supposed to take it in the first place, so not really sure what ended up happening there. But in the same way as another guy we've spoken about in Mbappe and another guy we will speak about shortly, if you have an absolute killer in the box, sometimes it just needs one or two moments from them getting the service, as we spoke about uh, in the in the pre-matches podcast, and Lewandowski had, what, three opportunities, I'd say? He hit the post, he set up one goal, and he scored another one. Yeah. And that is the difference between a a good player and a truly great player, is that he only needs those moments to have those massive impacts in the game, even when his team are not playing particularly well. They know they'll always have a chance once they have him. Now, Poland have done themselves no, no harm at all today. They now top the group. And, of course, they play Argentina next. Saudi Arabia currently third. But they play Mexico last, and you would give them a chance to to get at least a point there, possibly more. Um, Mexico lost 2-0 to Argentina. I thought Argentina's first-half performance was really disappointing. But once they made the first change on 57 minutes and introduced Enzo Fernandez. The game really swung in their favour. They started to get a lot more control, be a lot more penetrating. Messi scores the first with an absolutely beautiful strike from about 25 yards out into the bottom corner. And Enzo Fernandez wraps it up on 87 with a stunning right-footed goal that gave Guillermo Ochea absolutely no chance. Um, Enzo Fernandez is going to be a star, Carl, an absolute star. But Lionel Messi is still what makes this team tick. <laughs> yeah, it's again, isn't it? It's just a couple of moments which go his way when there's not somebody on him. And watching most of the game, and they've always got either Herrera on him or Guardado earlier on in the match. And he gets so little room to sort of make that first little manipulation change of direction and make his first move into space. And although Messi's still quick in terms of his footwork and 
that little initial burst of acceleration after the first five yards he's not actually as quick as he used to be anymore let's be honest so it's very very difficult for him to have that long-standing impact if he's going mm. from 20 30 yards from goal all the time unless he's got loads of runners ahead of him which he doesn't have in this argentina team at all and that the goal that he scored it was one of the very very few occasions where he's just stood still and i think it was herrera has just gone wandering off left yeah. him alone for about eight yards of space got drawn like to the ball yeah, he's followed the ball when it's been played out wide and Messi has just stood there. And obviously when it comes to him, it's too late. He tried to get across. You're never going to get there. And in fairness, there were still two defenders and obviously the keeper, and he's a bit of a distance out. Most players, even if you're man-marking them and they've got away from you, they're not scoring from there. But again, no. that is the difference. Mexico, not just tonight, in the first game as well, and in some of the, the warm-up games they've had as well, it's still the same issue. It's goal scoring. There's just no combination play inside the penalty box there's even tonight i thought when they were trying to get the wingbacks really really high up not an awful lot in terms of um doubling up in the channels trying to get 2v1s because vega and lothano obviously usually playing wide so they were playing as a split pair basically and they didn't really get 2v1 situations against the fullback at all i thought nahuel was really good when he came on from montiel as well um in in sort of turning people inside into where it was a lot more congested everybody getting everybody else's way not really much service, even when they brought on Alvarado later on, Jimenez as well. Just nothing. There's very, very little penetrating runs from Mexico. There's nothing in the way of you know, anything that's going to cause any kind of defence which are well organised, any problems at all, really, because it was very easy to funnel everything central. And then they're not able to cross for Jimenez when he was on. Nobody with any pace whatsoever to get in behind the defence. No, no, they're, they're very... Um... They're very stuck in the mud in their attack. Like they can get things going in wide areas to an extent, but there's there's a lack of quality. And this Mexican team has sort of aged out together. If they've been together an awful long time, most of this group, and this is sort of just the last hurrah for a lot of their legendary players. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they rebuild over the next couple of years. And they're not out of this. If they were to get a, a comprehensive win over Saudi Arabia mm. and Poland were to lose to Argentina by a couple of goals, Mexico can still get themselves into the knockout phases. But right now, I don't think I'd be backing them to well, beat Saudi Arabia. Tonight, tonight, they've had one shot on target, which was a free kick. So nothing mm. at all in open play. And I mean, Yeah, and the goalkeeper called it and made it look very easy. Yeah. It's, it's very, very. It's going to be very, very difficult um, for either of those teams to get a win in the next game of the required number. If they need a big win, if one doesn't shoot and the other one cannot, but mm. I think for Saudi Arabia, I think go for the draw probably and hope that Argentina do the job. Maybe it might be like Australia, kind of their best route through, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so right now it sits Poland top, Argentina second. Saudi Arabia in third and Mexico bottom. Poland, Argentina and Saudi Arabia, Mexico are the next games. Tomorrow, we have what looks like a very, very interesting day. Now, Japan start off against Costa Rica. Japan obviously upset the Germans in their first game. Costa Rica got annihilated by Spain. Is there any likely outcome in this other than... Japan winning by a couple of goals? Uh, I hope not. And there shouldn't be really. They've done, let's say, the hardest part of the work and now you've got to finish the job through. And I think if there's any type of team which should be able to do a very professional job, it is one which is playing in a consistent way with 
good patterns of build-up play, uh, enough rotations and pace in the forward line, and decent technical players who don't get flustered under pressure, let's say. And I think all of those things, basically, Japan tick all the boxes, really. Uh, Costa Rica, you'd expect a reaction from them at the very least, out of professional pride, if nothing else. I wouldn't expect them to be particularly expansive or attack-minded. I think, mm. you know, you mentioned if you get a, a win at the World Cup, that's a huge thing. I think that's absolutely correct, and it would apply to Costa Rica as an example. But yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think they're going to go all-out attack to try and get that. I don't think that they're going to overcommit themselves to try and keep themselves in with a chance of getting through to the last 16, for example. I think this will be maybe one of the games they've, that they have identified to try and keep it very, very tight, frustrate the opposition, stay in the game until later on, see if they get any kind of set pieces, that sort of thing. Um, I would like to think Japan can overcome that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, as would I. I think Costa Rica would very happily take a draw tomorrow. I think that would be a big sign of improvement, given what happened in the first game. Obviously, it would be of no benefit to them in terms of progressing in the tournament. But when the draw was made... They likely looked at the draw and thought, okay, well, if we can, you know, not embarrass ourselves and maybe pick up a point or so, we'll be happy enough. It's it's about the experience and the taking part for a lot of these countries. So I think they'd be happy with the draw. Japan need the win because obviously Japan's last game is against Spain, which is going to be a very tough one. And you've highlighted already, this could be a group where you get three teams finishing on six points and we'll come to Spain versus Germany a little bit later. Uh, second game then is Belgium versus Morocco. Now, Belgium didn't impress anybody in their performance against Canada. They did get a 1-0 win, but they were comprehensively outplayed and were very, very fortunate that Thibaut Courtois is an enormous human being at times and that the Canadians can't really finish. Uh, Morocco bored everybody to tears in their first game against Croatia. Belgium need a response. Kevin De Bruyne's comments that this team is a little bit old and not as good as it was four years ago, they ring true, but it was surprising to hear him say that. Yeah, Aiden Hazard said similar as well. Um, basically said that it was quite notable. He was talking about, you know, best goalkeeper in the world, best midfielder in the world, talking about De Bruyne, that they have some great attackers, talking about Lukaku, who isn't playing anyway. Completely didn't mention anything to do with the defence other than they know they're not that quick anymore which I think is pretty telling in terms of the mindset from the Belgian players. To be fair, Roberto Martinez has said similar, obviously talking them up in terms of the experience and everything else, but he does acknowledge that it's probably past its prime. I think that is wildly understating what this is, especially when they haven't got those initial uh, star cast, let's say, such as they are. I mean, if you're Mm. relying on people like, I've talked about him before, but Castagna, I think, has had a stinking season. He's had an absolutely atrocious thing. I wouldn't have taken him in the first place, but for him to now be playing as a regular starter, it's not going to work. If you've got Tielemans playing again with Witzel, it isn't going to work. Witzel's been playing centre-back and not well. Tielemans has been left out of the Leicester side up until the last four or five weeks before the World Cup break because he wasn't playing well. And Eden Hazard is very similar to what you were talking about, Gareth Bale, the other day. Very, very good player at his peak has hardly played football for the last three years. So now you're relying on him to produce magic out of nothing, basically. And maybe he'll have a moment. Maybe in one of the games out of three, one of the games out of four, if you go through, maybe he will produce something like that, or even half an hour of something like that. But as a regular starter, someone you're relying on for your combination play, your link players, being the out ball when you're under pressure, uh, to be able to create something against a very, very tight defense, you're hoping for it. You're not expecting it because you've not been doing that for the last years. No, and I mean, it's all well and good, Martinez saying this team is a little bit older. You've had four years to, you know, shake things up a little bit. 
to bring along new talent. Yet when I look at their squad, I see three goalkeepers, all of whom are 30 or older. Of the seven defenders, three of them are 31 or older. Of the eight midfield players, you've got three of them, sorry, four of them are 29 or older. You've got a eight-man attack, one, two, three, four, five of them are 29 or older. And of those who are under that age, you've got Lewis Appenda, who's only had six caps, Jeremy Doku, 11 caps, Charles de Ketelier, 10 caps, Amadou Onana, three caps. Um, Yuri Thielman's obviously been around a long time. Uh, Zeno de Best, there's a young centre-back, three caps. Wood Faze, one cap. He's 24 years of age, he's got one cap. And Arthur Tiete, who has four caps. He hasn't done nearly enough to bring along the next generation of talent. Like, you've got the likes of Yari Vacheron at Anderlecht, is a super talented player, seven caps, not in the squad. RL Mangala, 24 years of age, two caps. You know, you look at the strikers that didn't make it, it's all the likes of Benteke and Origi who've been around since the 2014 World Cup. He hasn't done nearly enough to turn this squad over. In the last year, he's called up one goalkeeper who's under the age of 30. He's called up six in total. Five of them are 30 or older. And the one he has called up who's under that is 28. And he can even cap him. Like, so it's all well and good him crying about the squad being older. That's your fault. You're the manager. You've had four, you've been in the job six years. And this is largely the squad you brought to the last World Cup. Like, it's it's tough. They've had this quote-unquote golden generation. It's always underachieved. You're still relying on Alderweireld. You're still relying on Vertonghen. They're playing for Antwerp and Anderlecht for a reason at this point in their career. So I, I don't have any sympathy for him. I have a bit of sympathy for De Bruyne because he's the best midfield player in the world and he's surrounded by the same lads he's been surrounded by for six years. It's not good enough. Um, they need a performance tomorrow, Carl. I would back them to beat Morocco, though. I think Morocco are are okay. I like they've got some good players in defence. But outside of that, I don't see a whole lot. I'll, I'll go Belgium to win 2-1. I'll go just the 1-0, I think. Um Belgium need a lot more in terms of physicality through the centre of the park. Mm. I mean, Anana came in for the last game and I don't think he played particularly well, but he did have an impact in terms of uh, being able to be a bit more of a ball carrier, somebody who can compete aerially with them. Neither of, of uh, Witzel nor Thielemans are going to do that for them. And it, like, look at I mean, Witzel's playing centre-back for Atleti because he can't play in midfield anymore. No, I mean, you look at, say Morocco weren't, weren't very good, and they're not particularly good, and they didn't play particularly well in terms of the build-up play and everything, but they compete. They will fight, and they will work mm. hard. They will play very, very compact. So you need people who are, A, going to match them physically, and then be able to pick a pass through them or dribble past them. Witzel, at the moment, isn't doing any of that. He's sitting in front of the defence to play things very, very simply and to make sure that he can be sort of a reverse sweeper, if you like, taking down the second balls and picking it up off the deep players or letting them play passes from deep. That isn't really going to achieve too much against Morocco if they sit in in a much deeper block and ask you to basically break them down. Um, Belgium got really, really lucky off basically one misjudgment of uh, of the defence by Canada and the fact that, like you say, Courtois is larger than the average oak tree 
And that is the only reason they picked up points and they need a lot more. I would expect at least three changes to that starting lineup. And if they don't, I will say that it'll be another draw unless Morocco do something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Like, I do agree with what you said about Hazard. Like the the guy is he's one of the great players of the last decade, talent wise. He hasn't always lived up to it. He is capable of a moment of magic, and Belgium better hope it comes tomorrow or in the next game because they're not going to get a whole lot of, of anything else out of most of those players in that squad anymore. Um, the other game in that group is Croatia versus Canada. Croatia flat, disappointing in their first game. The nil-nil draw with Morocco again. It's an older team, but I think they've replenished a lot better than the Belgians have. Canada were really fun in their first game, but by Christ, they don't know how to put the ball in the net. No, that is a bit of a problem, isn't it? I mean, we spoke about Saudi Arabia and the fact that they had really good build-up playing, very aggressive, getting numbers forward, really, really quick to transition play and get into the channels and get overloads down the sides. I think Saudi Arabia's main issue in doing all of that is that it's all a little bit hectic and all a little bit crazed. I think Canada's was much the same in terms of how they did it, but a lot more controlled in how they did it. It was very, very uh, rigid is not the right word because obviously it was very fluid, but it was repetitive. They knew what they were doing. It was cohesive work. Everybody was involved in the group jobs that they had to do in where to close down and where the triggers were to press and then where they went as a group in terms of the mm. overload, the transition play, where everybody made the runs, either one inside or two across the front line, another one to pick up the switch on the far side. It was really, really well worked, but you have to put the ball in the net. And I, I think maybe without obviously wanting to take too many sweeping statements off just one 90 minute outing where everything that could go wrong for them in the penalty box did so, you can probably see that playing the way that they do against the other uh, CONCACAF nations that we have seen so far. US were fairly open in their first game and made a couple of defensive errors and England, even though did absolutely nothing, still cut them open at times. Uh, Costa Rica, obviously, we've seen were utterly hideous defensively. Mm. This kind of decide would have created loads and loads of chances playing against them in that kind of way. So maybe by volume of chances, they would have scored more goals anyway, but they need to do that very, very quickly now. It is obviously going to be at least one, if not two, steps up in quality from the teams they would have faced in qualifying. I I think that they are capable of hurting this Croatia side because Croatia, I think, will be a little bit more open, a little bit more expansive in terms of their midfield alignment than Belgium were forced to be. Uh, Belgium obviously had five back almost all the time in that first half, just by necessity, really. Um, Croatia are probably a little bit more going to be inclined to have a very narrow five in midfield because the forwards, wide forwards, Perisic and Vlasic, assuming they start again, will be forced to drop a little bit deeper if Canada are trying to push very, very high up and press them in ridiculous areas again, which I expect they will because Croatia don't really have loads of pace and attack. Perisic probably the quickest one there, but again, if he's running from 60 yards out down the channel, who's going to keep up with him is the first question. And are you going to be genuinely that worried that he's going to create something every single time? Probably not. No, I agree. And, you know, there's always, of course, the added bonus for Canada that when you've got an attack that's failing to score and you come up against the team with Dejan Lovren, your chances of a goal go way up. Lovren didn't make a mistake 
in the Morocco game. So he is due a mistake and I would <laughs> not be surprised at all if he puts one through his own net. So for that reason, I am going to go 2-1 to Canada. Oh, two goals in one game, my word. Um, I'm going to just ask you first about Alfonso Davies, because obviously he was mm. the big focus. He's not allowed to take penalties tomorrow, let me well, just no, say that. There is that, there is that. Um, I thought, not in the same style of play, but in what he was trying to do, when he moved from wing back into the forward line, I got serious, serious Stephen Gerrard vibes off him in that he had yeah. made an error, his team was suffering, and he thought he had to do everything about it. Yeah, hero ball. It is very much so. It, it, do you know who it really reminded me of? It was like watching Gareth Bale play for Wales, hmm. where he tries to do absolutely everything by himself and doesn't necessarily put the faith he should in his teammates. And the thing is, there's a couple of good players in that Canada team. You know, like we know that Jonathan David is a good player. He's a proven quant- quantity in one of the six best leagues in Europe. Uh, I was impressed by what I saw from Buchanan. I, I think if he was to put a bit more trust into those players, they could take quite a lot of the weight off him and allow him to be more effective by not trying to do absolutely everything. In the same way that when Gerard had faith in an Owen or a Torres, he was a much better player than when he played with an Engog and had no faith in them at all and tried to do it all by himself. Stands to reason, to be fair. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, <laughs> but I don't know that, that, that Alfonso Davies has quite grasped that mm. yet. Jared was older when he started to, to figure that out. Yeah. Um, obviously, Gerard was never in a situation where the gulf between, you know, I mean, Jonathan David's the next best player, and it's a significant gap then to the third best player. Gerard didn't always have that. He, you know, he was always the best player, except when he played with Suarez. But he generally had a good number two and three. It would be the six, seven, eight, nine, ten that would be really poor in those Liverpool teams. Um, I'm going to go two one Croatia. I'm afraid. That's fine. Oh, we didn't. Hang on, we didn't pick a result for Mexico. Sorry, for Japan versus Costa Rica. So give me a prediction on that one quickly. Two nil. 2-0 to Japan. I'll go 3-0 just for a little bit of difference. Right, final game then. It is Spain versus Germany. Spain, 7-0 winners over Costa Rica. Germany, a disappointing defeat to Japan. I think this Spanish team is the type of team that Germany set up to play well against. What do you make of this game? Could go any way at all. I expect Spain to obviously have long, long spells of possession at times. I assume they're going to revert to what would have been Luis Enrique's start in 11, which might mean Asensio Morata in and Aspilicueta out, Carajal in. I think the first one's fine against Germany. I think the second one's a mistake against Germany. Um, Carvajal, I don't think, has been tremendous. He can be reasonable and he can be reliable, and sometimes he can have a good game, but what he doesn't tend to do well against is people who can beat him, people who drag him inside, people who are going to make him go outside of his uh, comfort zone and make him do defensive work in central and even midfield areas, to be honest, if he has to follow them. If he is in the set, in that spot and Jamal Musiala plays the same tucked in sort of role that he was in in the first game, that could be not particularly good, I would say, for Spain. Mm. But honestly, overall, I still see the same problems for Germany at the moment as it did pre-tournament in that they don't have 
enough cohesion there in the front line. They haven't absolutely decided who is the number nine, who is the support and players who attacks that sort of number nine zone, but from the second line. Nabry played it way too wide for A, how I like it, and B, how he's most effective. Um, I'm not really sure what's the deal with Leroy Sané at the moment, but if he's not fully fit, questions over why he went at all. If he is fully fit, big, big questions over why he's not playing at all. Yeah, I think for this German attack to really work, it kind of needs to be Havertz as the nine, Musiala as the ten, and, and Nabry and Sané either side. But if if injuries are starting to take hold, I think that I think the best thing they could do is play Musiala left, Havertz as the ten, and bring in one of the young players, either Adiemi or Makoko up front, because I think pace and movement can harm that that Spanish defence. Rodri's not the quickest on the turn if it's him. Pau Torres is not the quickest on the turn and lacks a bit of physicality if it's him. And Americ Laporte hasn't been the same in terms of his ability to, to turn quickly since he had that knee injury a few years ago. So I think if you put a bit of pace through the middle, if you don't have pace on both flanks, put some through the middle and I think you can pull those German defenders out of position and maybe Kai Havertz can time a late run and get on the end of something that Musiala creates or that David Rahm offers bombing down the left flank. One thing Germany cannot do, Nicolas Sula cannot see the pitch at right back ever again because it is an absolute shambles. If he's going to be in the team, it has to be at centre-back. He's far too slow and far too mobile to play that right back position and it just completely unbalances the German side. Yes, um, not really not really into what they did at all in the defensive line. Not, to be honest, I'm not really into at all what the Germans have done with this setup whatsoever. Uh, if Goretzka is any way fit, I think he needs to be in that side one way or another. However, yeah. they sort that out. The Kimmich put him in the midfield and put Josh Kimmich right back. It, it's a very That's simple fine. switch. And even if they don't do that, if he absolutely won't move Kimmich out of the middle, I like Gundogan. But play him somewhere else or don't play him. Play Goretzka yeah. with Kimmich. I think that's job number one that's got to be done there. You've got to get these partnerships right. The centre-back partnership is, again, another new one. Even at, both full-backs really are, are new ones coming in there in terms of this this team at tournaments and everything. They need some familiarity. They need some cohesion and really, really much, much, much improved build-up play. Um, if Spain play in a similar sort of high tempo game in terms of uh, moving the ball around the final third, I can see them getting through Germany at ease, uh, at at will or with ease, whichever one you prefer. Mm. Um, finishing, I'm again, still going to say the same thing as last time, to be honest. They could be very, very good. They could be absolutely wasteful. We've seen both sides of Spain, and I don't think that they are all of such an elite level that you can guarantee every single game they're going to turn up and put away the chances. But what you can guarantee is that with Pedri and Gavi playing the way they are at the moment. And I repeat that Gavi's performance may well be the best centre midfield performance uh, offensively that I've seen at the World Cup so far, with the caveat that he was up against nobody at all. Um, they are going to create chances. They are going to get behind this Germany defence plenty of times. I have serious doubt this German side can withstand that for 90 minutes. Yeah, based on what we saw against Japan, I'd be very much inclined to agree. Um, however, however, I am going to pick a German win because I don't trust this Spanish team. 
I know they beat Costa Rica 7-0. I reckon you, me, Guy, and eight other lads from AI could give Costa Rica a decent game if they played like they did in that game because that was even well below their level. They're not that bad of a team by, mm. by no stretch. But they were absolutely appalling, and by the end of the game, they were practically helping Spain walk the ball into the net. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Spain win because I just don't trust this Spanish team. And I do wonder if there's... 2-1 Spain win? Sorry, 2-1 German win. 2-1 German (laughs) win. Because I do wonder if there's a little bit of Liverpool versus Crystal Palace when we beat them 7-0 and they didn't score for about six years. Mm. I wonder if Spain have scored themselves out. I don't think there's that many goals in this team. Uh, I'll go 2-1 Spain. A 2-1 Germany. (laughs) Are you sure? You you seem to be talking yourself into the opposite. I am. Yeah, no, I'm going 2-1 Germany. 2-1 Germany. All right, well, I'm going to stick with what I thought and solve your goal-scoring issue. I'm going to say 1-0 to Spain, own goal from Sula. Where is he playing? Is he playing it right back? Of course he is. He's sliding in at the back post to clear something. We may have to get Hansi Flick investigated for match-fixing if that's the case. Right, uh, what have you got to plug for us today? (sighs) Too much stuff to mention at the minute. Just go on my Twitter. There you go. There's loads of stuff on there. There you go. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow me at t- Mr. Two-Footed. Follow Guy at Guy Drinkle. And we will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.